not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leaning Middle. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And today we are going to be concluding our rundown of Biden's executive orders that he has signed to date. Right now, what's the date today? Is it the 26th of January? Uh, It is the 27th of January. It is the 27th of January. That being said, last episode, we weren't even able to get out of the ones that he signed on the first day. So still many to touch on. Don't add another day to January. We are doing that dry January. And uh, (laughs) I I need the fewest amount of days left in January as possible, please. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We're in the home stretch now. I won't, I won't reverse, (laughs) I won't reverse this week, but so we picked, we dropped off last episode talking about uh, how we rejoined the Paris climate agreement and how that um, immediately got backlash from the Republican party. Ted Cruz famously tweeted out that he, Again, it was unfortunate because it made very little sense, but it was his attempt at a condemnation saying that Biden is more worried about the citizens of Paris than the citizens of uh, Pittsburgh, which was odd. But um, clearly he's not. That one doesn't even make sense. Yeah, you know, the Treaty of Versailles didn't just apply to those in the palace. It ended World War I still. And uh also, the Pittsburgh mayor tweeted back and said, we literally like are, have more tech jobs than steel jobs and have for like 50 years. So, uh, you know, weird perceptions again, but um, what have you. There is still upset, you know, from the Republican Party, even if their uh, ways of displaying that are unconventional. But it is uh, it's interesting. You know, the Paris Climate Agreement is a. Um, Global pact with, you know, almost I'm going to see I don't know how many countries have signed it to date. I think majority of them nearly um, 200. Exactly. So, you know, probably the big guys that are left out are people like North Korea, uh, maybe Turkmenistan, you know, places that are still really underneath a dictatorship or autocracy currently. But um The big piece of this agreement is it's countries pledging to spend an amount of their budget combating and working towards reducing carbon emissions. And how much you spend of your budget on trying to focus on those things is dependent upon your GDP as kind of a percentage. So, again, you know, I think there was this perception that we were giving somebody money um, when that isn't the case. Like, we're not actually paying an organization like the WHO, there's no Paris climate entity, you know, that we're giving money to. It's just us agreeing to work, you know, spend some of our budget internally on that. And I think we initially left because uh, people, the Trump administration felt that it wasn't right for us to be spending more than countries like China, which are actually producing more emissions, but they are still being forced to spend less than we are because of the GDP discrepancy. Well, and 
you know, and that's the hard part. I think that's what people get most upset about is China is the number one um, producer of emissions and they aren't doing as much as us. And I, I think that's where the confusion comes in. Um, you know, again, I was listening to uh, Mr. Cruz there just a little while ago and he had he went on this five minute tirade about us rejoining the Paris Accord and how um, it's not fair for us to hold ourselves to a standard um, when China won't hold themselves to a standard. And that it's like you and I were talking about before this podcast, it's a gentleman's agreement uh, kind of a approach. And, you know, we we're basically relying on China to keep their promise that, you know, I think what Ted Cruz said makes it perfectly understandable why he liked Donald Trump so much, because in my mind, we bill ourselves as the leader of the free nation of the free world. Why would we not, you know, take a stance in the right direction of combating this crisis? And instead, we're saying, well, we're not going to start until China starts instead of saying we're going to lead by example. And uh, I can see a lot of parallels to not leading by example and who you endorse to be your president. But that's my take on it. I don't see it as let's, you know, let's wait. Let's, you know, we got to make China do what exactly what we're doing instead of saying, hey, this is a crisis, whether we like it or not. We're still the second largest contributor of CO2 gas. That being said, China does produce roughly twice what we do. But if we take out ours, we're reducing the global scale, you know, significantly in the Here, right direction. Here's some, some trivia for you. Do you know what country had the largest drop in CO2 emissions last year? India. No. Damn. Take, take one America. more shot at it. Yes, the United States. Yep. That and so, sense. you know, it because it's, we got locked down, whereas uh, right, exactly China had their very, very authoritative kind of iron fist approach to lockdown, which obviously they traded a lot of freedom initially to be able to get back to working. But we were closed down for much longer. Right. But, you know, one of the things that really showed up if you paid attention to these things is um, what the earth will do to itself if you take care of it. And when we locked ourselves down and the emissions went away, you saw some of the clearest days. You, you saw some of the cleanest air in China. You saw um, things happen in the earth that basically weren't happening before when we were going a hundred percent in that direction. So you can, you can take the scientific conversation out of it and just look at the comparative pictures and see yeah. that that we're causing damage, and I don't. Yeah. I don't think anybody's saying that we're not causing damage. I think there's some crazies out there that are are saying that we aren't. But I agree. I think it's the drast minority of people who actively deny climate change. I right. think people believe it on different scales, and I'm not even sure where I would fall if I believe it on like, oh my god, you know, it's apocalyptically bad versus like. Yeah, we really need to do something about it, but you know, it well, is it's a sliding kind of you know, policy. there's there's a lot of on and they primarily land on the Republican side from the the research that I saw that believed that what we are going through is a natural progression of our planet and that mm-hmm. that we're going into things like the ice age took place. Well, there were no emissions or anything else during that time frame and it still took 
took place and killed off half of the planet or, or more. Um, you know, there's a lot of, of conversation about that. I think what a lot of people and the Republicans in general, because I, I would say that though this shouldn't be a political side versus another side, it is. But I think that a lot of the concern is if we hold ourselves to a higher standard of emissions, which I think we should do, what impact is that going to have on our economy? And, and I think that's the fear right now is that if we hold ourselves accountable and we hurt our economy by trying to, to do this and that we're really one of the only ones trying to save the world and China does not follow in that same path, we will lose ground to China in the economic standing of the world and the different industries and the different uh, global uh, economic impacts, market impacts. Uh, I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people mad. Um, but and, and I agree with you fully, and I want to address that. But I was going to say, and for my hot take of the episode is, I don't think we're, I think it's over. I think the race between America and China is completely over. China will overtake us as the largest global economy because of the amount of the investment that they've done within their country while we've been kind of worried about spreading democracy throughout the world. They've been investing within themselves for their own infrastructure, their own kind of tech market, their own military. And not that we haven't been spending on military too, but they're going to surpass us. It's just that it's a population. It's a raw numbers game. And they're probably going to end up exceeding us as kind of the global economy within the next 50 years. And we see countries rise and fall to prominence consistently throughout history. And I think it's arrogant for America to say, hey, we're going to be the leader of the free world forever. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to stop spreading democracy. But I am more worried about this attempt of trying to destroy China from overtaking us economically because I could see it spiraling into unnecessary warfare. Yeah. And I mean, that's a I don't disagree yeah, with we, you. We, can we don't really need to get go into down that, that one. path. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that if that happens or when that happens, it's going to be a grim day for for the global community yeah because china will not be the same force that we have been on the global scale exactly exactly it they're not going very, to be peacekeepers bad. and again you know just because economic superiority doesn't necessarily mean military superiority either though so yeah. there is yeah. because we're spending you know what we really do spend on our military year over year is like almost incomprehensible compared to even the next 10 countries combined. So even if like they do overtake us potentially as, you know, a economic superpower, I, they, I, they, I don't see them really overtaking us in terms of military might for at least a hundred years, unless yeah. pending any true disasters. Naturally, well, nobody would have ever thought we'd be here in 2021. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's another conversation, and I really think we should do an episode on that because there's there's a lot of different takes on that one. So absolutely, um, but uh, the, let, let's kind of get back to what we were doing a part two on, which was the executive orders. Uh, the next one, yeah. 
that that we were talking about was what the it, it is the one on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. So this actually kind of circles back to how we wrapped up last episode, which yep. was the question of, okay, we just laid off eleven thousand workers. A thousand of them were union workers. What? Where do they what go? What are we going to do? Yeah, what are we going to do for jobs? And you know, again, it, industries do wane over time you know um there's definitely a lot less people going into manual labor because they've decided to go down like a digital route because of the internet being available you know you could say video killed the radio star you know it's like industries do wane consistently so just because the oil sector is going to naturally start to wane doesn't doesn't mean that america's screwed you know well, it, it <laughs> You, and you bring up a great point. I mean, right now you have 11,000 people that are, are being laid off, and that's just initially right off the top. That number is going to grow when it starts filtering out to the different companies involved and the different uh, aspects of that. But here's the thing. You hit the, you hit the nail right on the head. We have clients in the um, heating, air conditioning, and plumbing – excuse me, heating, air conditioning, and plumbing – um, industry that cannot find people to work for them. They are posting for jobs. They're talking to us going, how do we find these guys? I need licensed guys to do this. And they're just not out there and they're paying them good money. That, and I think yeah. that's what a lot of people don't understand depending on where you are in the country. Oh, um, I built those websites with those resumes. They had me wanting to start to study plumbing. I'm, I'm um, telling you, I was you, saying I, those salary ranges. I was like, good grief. There, there are plumbers out there and heating and air conditioning guys that can make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Absolutely. That, I mean, and people don't want to go into that. These, these kids coming out, uh, you know, I, I talked to one in particular that he was kind of asking me, what should I do with my life? And I was like, Hey, you re- you should really look at this. And he, he told me, I'm not ready to go to college. I don't want to go to college. I, college isn't for me. I said, then you should be looking at the service industry. You should be looking at, you know, air conditioning, trade plumbing, yeah. trade school, something. He goes, no, he goes, you know what? I really think I'm going to try to to be a YouTube star. And I'm like, you know, it's funny. My first cousin... of all, you're not that interesting. <laughs> number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two, the chance of that is less than 1% of people who are going to make a sustainable living. You, know, you yeah. might get rich right off the bat, but it's not sustainable. Yeah. And even getting rich is like hitting the lottery, I'm sure. But for example, my cousin, um, he didn't go to college. He went right into HVAC and he is about to finish up, I believe, his journeyman um, certification. And he's doing great. You know, he, he hasn't looked back once. Yeah. It was an awesome decision for him. So there's so many different industries that need the help. And my biggest thing and what I want to see the administration put forth is a real effort to try to um, up trade school, you know, applications, like try to get these people, give them reasons or give them programs that they can go into to actually learn a different skill or maybe take the skills that they have in oil and be able to place them somewhere else. But I will say, you know, even Shell, Exxon, you know, mobile, which I guess is Exxon, but your big oil conglomerates, it's not a secret. Like you can go to their websites and look into the amount of work they're doing in alternative energy already, which is a lot. Absolutely. And I will say, you know, yeah, maybe it's, you know, 10% versus the 90% of oil, but 
even the biggest oil producers know exactly what's happening and they don't they don't want to go broke when the oil dries up. They're yeah. trying to transition just as much as well. I think it's BP that's doing algae farms right now. Exactly. We're seeing a lot of different companies that are starting to pivot more and more just because they see the writing on the wall. You know, it isn't as much as it right now, it's a political thing. In 20 years, it's really not going to be a political thing because at right. that point, it's not going to be like, oh, is this happening? Is it not? It's going to be like we lost Miami, you know? Right. Well, it, but, but that goes back to my point earlier of, you know, the, the new sustainable energy market is not where it needs to be for these guys to be able to roll over. No, it isn't and, at all. And, and yeah. that's if we start cutting the, the drilling and the crude and, and, and the coal and all that stuff without somewhere for those guys to go. Now, I am going to say, if you listened to Biden's uh, peach or peach, uh, he did not <laughs> eat a peach. Um, if you listen to Biden, Biden got impeached. <laughs> no, no. Even though that did trend on Twitter, it has not happened yet. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be taken up in the house, but my, I'm biting, <laughs> biting my nails to see. <laughs> but in his speech before he signed this um, executive order, he talked about how we need to have more federal jobs, more state jobs, more local jobs, mm -hmm. building the infrastructure of our our country now that kind of goes to the comment you made a few minutes ago about china how they've been doing this so we're we're trying to play mm -hmm. catch up there but the way biden positioned it in the speech was yes you know these jobs are not sustainable jobs we can't keep going in this direction we need to start transitioning these guys into these interior jobs to help rebuild ourselves back better than ever it so. is we're doing a disservice for these union members who are working in oil and gas by acting like there isn't an expiration date on this when there very much is when we they're going to need to have jobs in 20 years some of them won't maybe sure some will retire but especially people entering the industry right now if you're in your 20s working on an oil field you're not going to be able to do that for the rest of your life just on the basis of we're not going to be able to find more oil to pull from or you're going to have to relocate or leave your family completely. And instead, we should really be planning so that, you know, when that does happen, we hit that kind of singularity point with energy production that we do need to have these, you know, a system for them to kind of jump over to but let's take a look at what this executive order on tackling climate crisis at home and abroad really says because it sets climate change as a key consideration for u.s national security and foreign policy establishes a national climate task force pause new oil and natural gas lease on public lands or in offshore waivers to the extent consistent with applicable law and sets goals of achieving a carbon pollution free electricity sector by 2035 and he is working to replace all government vehicles with zero emission vehicles like a tesla or chevy bolt sounds pretty good for so, uh elon musk or elon musk yes specifically workhorse if you're playing the stock game workhorse is one you want to look into because they are the ones that build the electric motors and i have to imagine i'm probably too late to the game they probably already shot up after this was signed but um it is it's definitely good news for the ev sector but what was interesting to me is it, it sounds like a lot of people are perceiving this as 
they're going to fire, you know, and again, I should note, like, this is totally separate from the Keystone XL pipeline incident. So I'm just, when I, when I speak, I'm just referring to this executive order. But, um, you know, people have a perception that this order is going to, like, get people fired or reduce jobs when they aren't ceasing any existing drilling. They aren't stopping any existing oil platforms or derricks or what have you. They're just saying on federal land where they can legally allow it, they're not going to allow for the search for oil, which the Trump administration opened up our national parks and protected environments to be able to be drilled on for oil. So that was the reverse of that decision. And then you have the creation of the climate task force, which John Kerry is leading as climate czar, which seems like, you know, an administration specifically, I'm sorry, you know, a, um, a group within the administration specifically working towards finding solutions of so many of the problems we've just brought up and then uh, making it a key consideration for national security and foreign policy, which I think is interesting, which is, you know, what we've kind of been talking about with this China policy of, are they going to follow suit? Should we wait for them? And now we're looking at climate change under the guise of national security because if we don't get climate control, the climate situation under control, our national security is at risk as you know, natural disasters continue ha- to happen, more hurricanes happen, more wildfires happen, and things like that. So I think it's uh, really trying to install as many professionals and scientists handling this problem as possible through the government um, is the aim of this executive order. Yeah, I, you know... I, I think this one, I, I don't disagree with it. I just, again, some of it is timing. Uh, but I mean, when you sign 22, and this is part of what, what they're talking about when, when they say, are they trying to hide something or, or whatnot? And I think the problem with signing so many executive orders in such a short period of time is the administration has not taken the time to talk any of this out with anyone. And so yeah. it, it really leads to a lot of misinformation and a lot of, of direction. Now, the, you know, the, the one thing I will say is this executive order, people are saying, oh, he's stopping, stopping drilling, like you kind of mentioned there before. And it, it is. It's stopping drilling on federal lands and protected in wildlife environments. And, and we're not even talking about existing drilling on federal lands that right. can actually continue. <laughs> yeah. And it's just any new drilling on federal lands. Right. And, you know, it, it's a big issue because, you know, my son is nine years old and he mm-hmm. is he has created a website. I'd plug the website, but it, it, he hasn't he's not ready for it to go live yet. But he has created it, a website. That, and he wrote all of the content on it all by himself, got the pictures all by himself. We showed him where to get the right stock photography and everything else. I and, was going to say, did you make sure you <laughs> use good stock we, photography? Yeah. We were very specific on where he could pull and what he could pull. Um, good. I can, I can give him the full rundown <laughs> if he ever needs somebody with previous experience. But, <laughs> you know, he went to my wife one day and – and I'm getting to a point with this, but he went to my wife yeah. one day and said, you know, this, this really concerns me. And he got pretty upset about the cutting down the um, Amazon rainforest. And yeah. he is, de- he is 
that is what he talks about is we are killing our earth. This is what, you know, um, where are those animals going to go? What's going to happen to the ecosystem? I mean, he's nine years old and he's worried about this stuff. And, yeah. and people, I don't think, pay enough attention to it. And this new mm-hmm. and upcoming generation, they're more socially aware. As long as we're sitting there and we're doing what we are to our environment, we have to protect it at some point. But he got upset and he went, yeah. went to my wife yeah. and said, I want to build a website. I want to get the message out. We need to tell people to stop doing this. Well, it, it's not just the Amazon rainforest that needs to be protected. It's it's other lands. It's wetlands. It's, you know, environments. I mean, look what happened to Yellowstone yeah. when you took the, the wolves out and you put the wolves. Or look what happened with the the golf um, with the, oil the Gulf of Mexico with the oil leak. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, so yeah. I, I think there's this we're worried about the oil and gas industry on some of these things on some of these lands. And again, it's just the federal lands that, that he stopped this on, but it's a real issue that has a lot of people concerned at a lot of different age levels. Yeah. We just, that's my biggest piece with it is like, I'm not against oil. Like I understand like from the most basic level that, we're likely never going to like completely stop our dependence on it to some degree, but like, we're not even like having the discussion about it. We're not letting this be an issue that guides our path forward. And that's what worries me is it's not so much the fact that like, I don't have a vendetta against the oil industry. I have many friends who work in the oil and gas industry. One of my closest friends is, is graduating as a geologist and she is you know, saying, man, do I want to go into oil and gas or do I want to pivot and try to do like cartography or some kind of mapping or something? So there's a lot of uncertainty and I get that. But I'm just happy that the president is establishing this as, hey, this is a threat in the future, whether we like it or not. Let's at least start like looking at it and doing what we can at the very least to try to help save you know, the world for people like your son yeah, to be able to live. Exactly. In and instead of just cutting the jobs and everything, what we really need to be doing in, in now, again, Biden didn't call me and ask for, for my advice. So I'm just giving it out for free right now. I think did he? I uh, see, he called me earlier. That, that's he just wrong. Sound, yeah. <laughs> he sounded um, stressed. He, he might want to take a, a break. <laughs> I bet he had some hand cramps from signing all of these things, but um <laughs> honestly we have mouth cramps the, just talking the about the thing them. about it is um <laughs> i i think we need to get the oil and gas industry involved in the conversation and and i think that's where mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of this could be put to rest and a lot of the um unsettling opinions of this could be put to rest if the oil and gas industry would go Hey, you know what? What we're working with you on this. We're we're doing this, and and coming out and just doing some commercials for BP saying we're doing algae farms, we're doing renewable energy, and everything else. That's that's not addressing it. That, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That that's actually exactly filling <laughs> a requirement for the oil spill that they had in the Gulf. They had to spend X amount of dollars on PR mm-hmm. and promoting renewable energies as the settlement. So, you know, you, you got to kind of look at it and go, well, wait a second. What are they really trying to accomplish here? But what needs to happen is the oil and gas companies need to get more involved in this conversation and they need to go, 
yes, we, we agree. We need to do more to do this. We need to do more. And you know what would solve a lot of it? If they would actually pony up and do some renewable energy things like, you know, we're, we're not going to drill in protected federal lands. We're not going to drill in these certain areas. Like if they took a little bit more social proactive approach, instead of just being money grabbing businessmen, the, the perception of the whole issue could possibly change and you could have more people having real conversations about it instead of arguments about it. I agree. I agree. And I mean, it is, it's, well, I won't even touch that. I was going to bring up um, a very spicy point with climate, but we can go deal. We can go down um, the oh, Green New Deal goodness. path. Okay. Yeah, future. we don't have time on this one. We still got quite a few <laughs> yeah. executive orders to go. I don't want to do a part three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'll I'll rip through a couple that we can kind of touch on um, briefly here, which is the next one is very innocuous. Um Creating a council of advisors on science and technology, which is just the leading experts in all fields of science and technology, will then advise the president on the policy that affects Agreed. innovation. So I am kind of surprised <laughs> that didn't exist surprised. before. <laughs> yeah. So next we jump into some real meat, which oh, no. is immigration. So. Number one is the revision of similar immigration enforcement policies and priorities, which revokes the executive order issued by Donald Trump, which made sanctuary jurisdictions that did not comply with immigration enforcement measures ineligible to receive federal funds. So that is now just saying any city that is stating that they are a sanctuary city can once again receive federal funding. And what a sanctuary city is, is a city or, you know, basically saying, hey, we are a city that we are not going to use our police resources to carry out ICE's job. So that in my mind, I'm all for that just because I, you know, I'm very oddly Republican in this way is I really do believe that if the federal government wants to enforce their immigration policy, they should not be co-opting local police for that. They should do it their own selves because they're the government. That's their job. Don't bring in our community police officers and take resources away from the community to enforce immigration policy. You know, it's not it's not the city law. It's not the state law. It's the federal law. So I don't know. I always had a little confusion why Republicans were so against that. But I can understand it in just kind of the yeah. general. Well, I think what they're, they're more angry about is the um, well, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. I agree with this. I think the what what I'll say it real quick. I think what the Republicans have a problem with when you talk about sanctuary cities is the perceived um, image of ice showing up and tearing part uh, families apart and everything else. And, um, you know, having the police force do it or doing it in a quieter manner might be more sufficient for, for everybody involved might be less traumatic, but I don't know. Uh, that's just kind of a, a, a quick look at yeah. it. Yeah, and it ble- it just it's it's not worth jumping yeah. into because we'll talk for two hours because it does it bleeds into racial justice issues and things like that as well. So, for right now, there's a lot of other Im- immigration yeah. ones we'll discuss here. So, we'll move on to the next one, which is ensuring a lawful and accurate enumeration appointment. Yada yada yada. Basically, it's saying we are counting um, 
residents, regardless of immigration status in the states. I mean, if, the, if you're using resources, you might so, as well be counted. That's kind of where I'm at. I really don't. I, I mean, I know why they didn't want them counted is because they perceive them as voting Democratic. So they're worried that it's going to change the layout of um, the House of Representatives. But it, it, it really that's that's pretty petty when you really consider that these people are, like you said, using resources. They're part of the country like we should count them as part of the country because the census does a lot more than redistrict, even though the Republicans yeah. want to make you think that sometimes. It is uh, it's not in my mind. I think it's just sensible. It's going to make budget you know, carrying out the budget easier. It's going to make sure that everybody is able to kind of get the resources they need. Like I don't personally, I don't care if somebody is legal or not legal, if they're suffering and in great need, like I'll, I'll donate money to them. Like I don't care if they're, you know, illegal or, or legal in the community. So I imagine that I would hope a lot of other people see these individuals who are here you know, sometimes outside of their own circumstances as, as humans, you know, who deserve the same things that we all get. But it is it, it, it's a very, you know, touchy issue. There's a lot of, uh, you know, people who are enshrined yeah. with their national identity. So I, I, you know, I understand where it's coming from. I just don't agree with it myself. But the next one is ending discrimination bans on entry to the United States, which is removing the ban on Muslim countries that Donald Trump um, had initially put forth. And I am not against this. We, I don't, I don't even remember the last incident of terror from a Muslim. I think it's just I only remember white nationalist terrorist incidents in you know the last yeah. at least four years. When was the last I, Muslim terror incident? I, I can't remember, but this, again, this is what he ran on. Yeah. 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 He said he was going to well, undo these No, that's, but that's, that's what the Trump thing. I just, I don't. The Muslim ban and, um, you know, all these, the, it, it's the Muslims that are attacking us. Well, uh, right now, I, I'm with you. I can't remember the last time we had a, a Muslim extremist attack, but we've had more domestic attacks. I think it was, I think it was Pulse nightclub in Orlando, but that, that was domestic even, too. That, that gentleman who committed that. Yeah. He was, he was um, radicalized, but he was domestic. So I don't, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think there's a real fallacy that like terrorists are being sent over right. here in great numbers. And that being said, you know, the CIA and the FBI, I'm sure they're thwarting thousands of terror attacks we'll never know about just so the right. world doesn't fall into panic. But um, it is, uh, in my mind, I think we need to be focusing more on the domestic threat and the, the domestic instability that we have. Um, but Next one is fortifying DACA, which is making basically saying anybody who was brought here or born here, you are a citizen of this country. You know, we're not going to toss you out or move you away. And, uh, you know, this is another one that's really, really um, questionable. It's it's one that's it's it's very emotional because to go against DACA means you're going against just children. So it's kind of. It's hard to have a real hard opinion on this one, but personally, I think, yeah, you know, if you're brought here as a child and you don't have a say or you're born into this country and you don't have a say, 
welcome to America. You're an American. That's that's my view of it all. But I understand other people. Um, yeah, take and, and again on this well. one, I don't have a, a problem with that. I mean, if, if you are you are a product of your environment, and I know uh, several people who were born here from illegal immigrants that couldn't be more American than they are, that, that would do anything for this country. And, you know, you, you want to send them back just because their parents <clears throat> came here illegally. And, and that was years ago. Yeah. It breaks my heart. I know. And then you see things where it's like, I also hate with DACA where it's like people tend to have this belief of like, they use the stories of like, you know, the, the exceptional DACA people who have gone on to like med school and overcome adversity. And I just want to almost remind people to say like, you know, even the kid who is a C student who's working at McDonald's to get himself through community college, like he deserves to stay here just as much as that individual who was able to, you know, get themselves to medical school is it's all part of the American dream that we, you know, to deny something like DACA, I think, is really denying right. what the American dream is, that you can come here, you can build a life, you can do all of that. Um, the next one is the halting of the construction on the border wall. Um, you know, a lot of people are looking at this to a slap in the face of Trump. But, I mean, how many new miles of wall were even constructed? Uh, 50 or something? There's almost 400 like, miles. Like, it just wasn't. So my question is, and I might be incorrect, it might be 400 new miles, that might be the stat, but I was under the impression that the majority of that was actually just redoing the wall system that was already there, and he only actually extended the wall system a pretty yeah. negligible well, amount. I, um, I also just, you know, ladders <laughs> exist, so I, I don't, I just don't, I just don't cannot comprehend well and i think that that's exactly this, why the executive order I, uh, took place because it halted with the the stop in the construction of the wall halts any funds that could possibly be right re-diverted there yeah yeah because we had a lot of funds from like fema and the military getting diverted there which and, uh, we, had, just, we had we had funds from fema that were that being re-diverted to the wall when those funds from FEMA could have been helping with the wildfires or, or I guess purchasing rakes yeah. so that uh, California could rake the forest. I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that, I just don't know the thought process behind it. it yeah. It's all emotional, you know? Um, it's, it's very psychological, like building a physical wall when it's like very penetrable still, like they've already cut out sections I know. of the wall that they built. <laughs> like, I think, you know, it's just, it's going to go down as one of the silliest things that the American government. Well, I don't know. There's a lot do. of silly things, um, but the net. There are a lot of silly things, but I think just history wise, they're going to yeah. be like, wait, they tried to build yeah. a wall. Well, and, what and again, you know like it's just representative it's, of donald trump like, and his love of china trying to build the the great wall i guess i don't know yeah there's some yep. kind of uh fixation there but now we're jumping into lgbtqia uh rights which is or lgbtq um for 
uh, those not familiar with the extended there. Um, but this one is preventing and commenting discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation um, within the federal government. So it's just saying the federal government can't discriminate against you if you identify as transgender or homosexual or um, not, not just homosexual, not just as a straight individual. So um yeah i don't really have a problem with that again it's just it's only about the federal government it's not the putting religious people who own their own businesses in a position where they have to agree to something that they don't agree with it's just the federal Agreed. government's policy so yeah next one is enabling all qualified americans to serve their country in uniform which revokes the pentagon's ban on transgender people serving in the military which as we talked about last episode, is not quite the extent of what it was. They, it, this is a very fluid situation, and I did read about it since our last episode, so I should say that there was actually a hard ban on transgender individuals serving in the military. That has been revoked, um, but we are not sure what that's going to look like because there's just a lot of minutia in terms of the healthcare that these individuals require, especially if they're choosing to try to transition and whether they should be listed as active duty if they're going through a transition process. So that's where I'm not sure, you know, how much this executive order really affects those standing policies, what those look like. Um, but again, I think in my opinion, if you want to serve your country you pass a psych evaluation, you pass an endurance test, and you're physically fit to serve this country, by all means, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anybody to not join uh, the military. I'm, like, yeah, I'm, if I'm you right wanted, with you. And, and I, I think that ahead. it's, you know, it's, I understand it. A lot of it, you know, one of the problems you have is you still have a lot of old school um, now they're getting closer to retirement and everything, but you still have a lot of personalities in the military that aren't accepting and, and they're not, that's the, that's, that's the very part true. Is, yeah. You know, you could, you can open the military up to the transgender and I mean, really. Exactly, it doesn't mean that the culture is going to change. You, ha you already have women serving. And, and and you have them in combat yeah. in, in some, some instances, they can now do that. And so you have men and women there already. So the, the transgender really comes down to mm -hmm. a cultural so... acceptance. And, and a lot of it could, could stem. I don't know. I'm not in the military, um, but it could stem from acceptance and what could happen to the transgender inside the environment. And, and exactly. And you, you know, you bring up the good point of you have men serving, you have women serving, why not allow, you know, a identify differently tends to identifies with what they're not. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be able to serve or, or the people who, you know, you know, identify outside of the traditional male or female spectrum. And it's, it really, like you said, you know, it is a culture change and it's something that's going to need to be, um, worked out and kind of figured out. But I think overall, just anybody, I would hope at least, you know, if I was, if I was actively serving the country, I would be respectful of anybody who chose to follow that as well. You know, I wouldn't care what their, um, you know, what they identified at as, as long as they were, you know, here for the same reasons, which was to uphold 
the values of America, it's, hey, perfect. <laughs> but it is, it's going to take time. And I think it's good that, again, that we're taking yeah. no, a I, step I forward. agree. And, and I, like I said, I, I believe that the transgender, transgender community should be allowed to serve their, their country. I'm with you. If you want to serve, serve. Absolutely. But yeah. You, you also, we need to make sure that there's safeguards put in place to protect each and every one of our members, uh, whether it be female, yep. male, transgender, <coughs> excuse me, whatever it might be. Um, but it is a matter of, you know, medical treatment. I think you bring up a, a great point. You know, and a lot of people think about the medical treatment issues that, that will arise with that. And if you are in a deployment situation, are you going to be able to get what you need for transitions and, and for those things? Exactly. So we'll have to kind of see what that looks like as it starts to play out and what that looks like as it hopefully enters the legislation process more formally. But next we are on to the category of race equity and racism. Um, a lot of these, again, um, across the board is there's some things that are have a lot of teeth to them. Others are very symbolic. We'll start off with um, advancing, advancing racial equity and support for un, underserved communities through the federal government. So it includes several different directives to try to allocate federal resources and government benefits better to communities that have been underserved. And again, specifically in um, this kind of has a guise of underneath COVID as well, but making more grants available, making things more equitable in different parts of um, the country in terms of where grants are being given out and things like that. So again, I don't really know at the end of the day how much this is going to change anything or if it's really just saying, hey, we're saying that we're going to commit to making sure moving forward things are handled, you know, with um, some idea of what, you know, the racial equity to, of all To me, this, this like, is so. a executive order um, executed by, by Biden as a nod to the people who elected him and to try to address mm -hmm. the uneasiness of the social um, situation in yeah. the United States right now, but there's absolutely nothing to this. This is purely a piece of paper and pen that says they're going to do this because this has been a promise that's been yeah. coming for a long time. Now, until they, you nailed it. It's you nailed it. It has been the last several administrations, especially Democratic administrations, going back to Clinton, yeah. have made very so similar it's, it's really. But yet we still have to make exactly. these pledges. So something's you know, there not has working. to be a revamping of the whole system in order for there to be resources reallocated to them. Because right now there's no way for them to really Very reallocate true. the sources and have an effect. So that that's my two mm -hmm. cents on that one. Mm -hmm. Cool. I like it. I think, uh, I think I agree with you fully. You know, it, it's a great nod. He's doing what he needs to do. But man, does he need to really make some things happen in reality? You know, we need to see tangible results or this is going to be a huge yep. stain on his presidency, yep. not carrying this out. Um, so the next one is preventing Justice Department from renewing contracts with private prisons, which is 
again, interesting as the private prison industry is definitely a, uh, a favorite of everybody to really hate on. I personally, in my, my views, um, think that that's <laughs> rightful. They deserve all the hate that they get. Turning the incarceration of our population into a business entity is well, unsettling, to say the least. So I think it's good that we're going to make sure that the prisons that we're keeping our federal prisoners in are run by the government and held to the standards of the government. You know, we're not letting anybody else benefit and become billionaires off of the potential suffering of those that we've sent to prison as a country, but then basically outsourced to their prisoner. You know, they just, it always painted, it always made me feel a little bit weird that somebody was directly profiting off of. Yeah. I think it was, I think there's a, um, I believe it was called Dirty Money <clears throat> on uh, Netflix. Ah, and they did yes, a I remember segment that. of Dirty Money on the prison systems. And if you think crime does not pay, you are mistaken. These guys are making a killing. And if you've yes. re-diverted the funds that are already being spent there, and <clears throat> here's an idea, and take them and make them federal employees and give them federal benefits and and give them federal pay and everything else and let them you know man let the federal government manage the federal prisons but we got to clean up our our prison system i mean yes yes oh we should do an episode on just that i mean i've i've been doing a lot of research on it and i you know also have um some experience with it and it's very um it's 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 startling you know i think a lot of people are very lucky to be able to kind of stay at an arm's length of what the prison systems look like and what the criminal justice system looks like but it is if you've ever kind of been in the part of it in any way you know on either side you really understand the reality that is much more grim than the common perception of it so i agree with you that we need to we need to look at the whole system i I I think this is a good step forward What I think, well, okay, I'm going to let you finish because there's only a couple left, and then I'll I'll tell you my thoughts on his executive order with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're in the home stretch now with only three more EOs to kind of knock down, and they're going to be pretty quick. The first one is just making sure that combating racism and xenophobia towards Asian American and Pacific Islanders. So that's, you know, making sure that the racist language around COVID-19 is not used in any federal government documents. Anything that's been published will now be changed, you know, where it's not the China virus. It's not any more the racist names that we've heard. It is COVID-19, you know, because we have seen a gross uptick in hate crimes on the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities within America since the beginning of the pandemic. So, I'm all for that. I think doing something as simple as just referring to it as a scientific name is yeah, not a big I, ask. I think <laughs> this is in direct response to the rhetoric of our previous president. And, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there is having to be action taken at an executive level like this for this. I think it's ridiculous for us to, to have to go in and say, okay, don't call it this name, call it this name. But, you know, that portion of this executive order aside the the problem that this is addressing is the racism that is in our our that is flowing through our country at an absurd rate right now 
the the racism has not mm-hmm. been seen like this since the 60s and it's sad that we're having yeah. to to really take this far of a step backwards when we're supposed to be trying to move forward and we're having to address this uprising of anti-semitic vocabulary and and conversation i mean it it is insane i mean i'm just going to stop there because i will get riled up and and furious and we don't have time for that on this issue on this episode i hear you and the next one is actually a conglomerate executive order which revokes six Harmful policies and directives, which is basically saying he's revoking six executive orders signed under the Trump administration. I looked into these six, and um, overall, it stems to one thing and one thing only. It is making sure that a lot of the anti-regulation things Trump signed into power were kind of put back into place. Um, You know, everything from changes to the Mine Safety and Health Act, the Toxic Substance Control Act— Hazardous Materials Transportation Act, uh, Railroad Security Act, Water Pollution Control Act, Policy and Conservation Act, Clean Air Act, Endangered Species Act, and the Motor Vehicle Safety Act are all putting protections back onto those to make it more regulations that people will have to abide by rather than giving more control to business entities to kind of do things like dump toxic substances or, you know, make unsafe mine conditions. I think this is, this is a champion order for the people. You know, it's taking a lot of control away from business leaders who could potentially use um, predatory practices for their employees. But obviously big business hates big regulations. Absolutely. And, and this is probably one of those orders that probably skates the line a little bit more than the um you know it's one of the ones that a lot of the republicans that that are going to argue against joe biden regardless is going to say see see socialism socialism the government is trying to take control of everything yep this is what they're going to point to the you know the regulations and the things that he did that's not what you want to be pointing towards when when you're trying to make a a statement of, you know, he's, he's turning this into a socialist um, democratic uh, uh, government. You need to look at what, what he was repealing or repealing and um, make a a decision off of that. Because when you really break it down and look at it, um, these were all things that that were good moves in, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. You know, right away it is sweeping, but, Um, You know, I encourage everybody to actually read executive orders. They're not long. They're usually about three paragraphs. So it's not it's not a big ask, but please don't just listen to the news stations, because this is something that I was doing during the Trump administration, too, where I would actually pause and read what he actually said. And, you know, I found a lot of the things that they were immediately very upset with, with a couple of his executive orders, really meant very little. You know, they, were, they weren't they were very big deals overall. And I think sometimes partisanship can make all of these types of orders signed by president immediately say, oh, this is garbage. This is a socialist agenda. But many times they're pretty innocuous. So 
that's what I would tell everybody is at the end of the day, executive orders are very limited what they can and can't do. And normally they are, you know, just kind of pledges that moving forward, we have an intention of something like that. And that brings us to the last executive order that has been signed by Joe Biden up until today, which is requiring um, an ethics commitment by every single executive branch personnel. So if you are employed by the executive branch, you have to sign an ethics pledge, which includes bans on gifts from lobbyists and golden parachute payments, which is basically receiving money Um after an administration, after you leave an administration, something like Kaylee McEnany has now signed a contract gotcha. with Fox News. Um, <clears throat> so he is banning all of that um, for his administration in the executive branch, which I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy with this one. I don't know how yeah, anybody no, can I, be I upset have no by this. None, none whatsoever. Um, okay, so yeah. to to wrap it up because we're all, we are way out of time. Um, my thoughts on this is, is really <laughs> this right here. What he has signed has set his, he is setting the expectations for his, his, uh, his term. And he, now anything yes. less than following through on what he has set is going to be perceived as a failure. And I and agree with my you. thing is this, we have to get, if he wants to be successful at, at some of this stuff and, and really seriously make a change, he has to get this stuff passed through the Senate. They can't just be executive orders. They have to become yep. uh, laws. They have to become approved by the Senate and, and enacted that it takes more than just an executive order to uh, overturn. Yep, I agree fully with you. And I am going to be incredibly critical, you know, as this administration plays out that we see, you know, Biden it ran on technically the most progressive agenda in American history. That's, you know, not a high bar to pass, but technically he did. And I want to see actual change. Do I think all of his promises will come true? Absolutely not. No president ever does. But if we don't see serious changes he will be and should be viewed as a failure of a president because he ran on some big promises and we need to hold him accountable to actually trying to enact what he wants to enact and actually passing legislation like you said you know we can't play this executive order game back and forth because we're going to keep the country in a perpetual state yep. of 2016 absolutely okay final question as, as we're uh, signing off what president has the most mm -hmm. executive orders in their presidential terms. So I'm ha I'm happy you asked this, and um, I I was thinking about it, you know, and my knee jerk immediately. Was Barack, Barack Obama, Obama had two hundred and seventy six executive orders in two terms. Okay, I think. You know, I thought about it more, and in recent history, I have to imagine um, W. W had um, two hundred and ninety-one executive orders. That is third. Yeah, across two terms. Number one so who is, is number Ronald one? Reagan. 
381 executive orders in two terms. He averaged 48 per year. Jimmy Carter was number two. Interesting. Interesting indeed. It really shows the picture that, you know, executive orders are not a Republican or a Democrat thing. They are whoever's in power is going to take advantage of them, considering the top of the list goes, you know, Democrat, Republican, Yeah, it really does. I mean, it it bounces (laughs) there. Jimmy Carter had 320 executive orders in one term. He averaged 80 executive orders per year. Donald Trump had 220 executive orders, averaging 55 per year in one term. In one term. So we are on a record pace right well, now. There you go. Yes, we are. So um, it's very interesting. We want to thank everybody for hanging out for these two longer episodes while we look down all of the executive orders that have been signed so far and discuss them a little further. Definitely always do your own research. Read about this stuff um, from the source whenever you can. That's one great thing about the Biden administration. If you want to learn stuff from the source, their transparency is much more open and they're releasing readouts and transcripts of calls and visitor logs and things like that. So get engaged. You know, if you want to be critical of this administration, don't just listen to the talking heads. Jump in there and see the minutia of what they're talking about so we can continue to have good conversations that aren't just partisan, but are actually calling out our leaders where they're failing and starting to come together. As Absolutely. A we appreciate everybody. Share us, uh, review us. Uh, we, we look forward to seeing those reviews and we look forward to uh, meeting with each and every one of you in the middle ground next week.